0: Lazarus is dead, and for your sake, I'm glad I was not there, so that you may believe. Let's go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him.
1: On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem.
0: Martha answered, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection in the last day.
1: Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this?
0: Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you're the Messiah, the Son of God, who's come into the world.
1: After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside.
0: The teacher's here, she said, and he's asking for you.
1: When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there.
0: When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and she saw him, she fell at her feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then he said this, Jesus call, when he said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! The dead men came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did believed in him. The word of the Lord So we're just going to, there we go, perfect, thank you. (laughs) So, um, John, you want to get started?
1: Sure. So today, we're just going to talk about this passage we've uh, just been looking at here, and really our core point, so if you just sort of only tune in for this moment, then you get bored with us and tune out. that's fine, just as long (laughs) as you walk away with this, okay? As with Lazarus and his sisters, Jesus weeps with us in our loss, and... He brings life in the midst of death. Okay? So, opening that up, we're going to be doing a couple of things along the way. So Beth is going to sort of set up, take us through the setting up this story. So the putting it all into context for us. And then she's going to really walk us through it step by step. And then finally, we're going to talk about the impact that has for us in our lives today. So, there you go,
0: okay. So... As we set up John 11 in its original context, it's always helpful to think about any particular passage that we're looking at in the Bible um, in light of what comes before it and what comes after it, uh, sort of what's all around it. And so when we think about what's happening in John 9 and John 10, luckily you guys uh, here had uh, John 9 as a sermon last week, is that correct? Um, And so uh, you saw this story uh, of the man born blind, and if you see the next story after that, you see the story of Jesus describing himself as the good shepherd. Um, Now, what this does is it actually sets up, on the one hand, Jesus as the light of the world um, and the hope that Jesus gives, but it also sets up some serious conflict. So there's a rising conflict that's happening between Jesus and the Jewish authorities um, and we see this coming to play more and more uh, in Jesus in John 9, where they're upset with Jesus for healing this blind man. Uh, they want kind of want him to be quiet and he won't be. Um, John 10 uh, has a reference to uh, the leaders who were supposed to be taking care of the people and didn't do a good job of that and going to get judged for that, which was referring to these leaders. They're not happy with that. So um, ultimately, this is rising conflict and and kind of frustration and anger at Jesus. Um, And this rising conflict will ultimately lead into the next big moment, which is John 12. Uh, Gordy mentioned that next week, Palm Sunday, is the description of Jesus coming into the city. And when he comes into the city, a whole whole bunch of the people get very excited, and they wave palm branches, and they announce that he's the coming king. Now, this makes the Jewish authorities even more upset. John 11, the passage we're looking at, is a turning point. So sometimes when we talk about John's gospel, we see it's sort of two halves. So one half, 1 to 11, is the stories of Jesus' signs and his ministry. The second half, 12 to the end of the book, is all leading into Jesus' death and into his resurrection. And so this becomes a pivot point, this moment where he raises Lazarus from the dead, becomes a really important moment that ultimately makes these leaders so angry that they want to kill not only him but also Lazarus. And they start to hatch a plot to do that. It's almost like
1: the climax of part one.
0: Yeah, so it's the (laughs) climax of part one that then shifts us into part two. And so as we think about when we're moving in in this Lenten season, this season where we're thinking about the death of Christ and how it leads us into the hope of resurrection, this passage is one of the special turning points that leads us there. And Besides that, John 11 also draws connections to John 20 to 21. Now, I know all of you are probably like, oh, 20 to 21, what exactly is that? That's the section on the resurrection. So one of the things that happens in lots of the phrasing and language that's in this passage is that it links Lazarus' being raised from the dead with Jesus' resurrection. And so one of the things John, the gospel writer, likes to do is he likes to give us little previews. Uh, throughout the book, he keeps coming back to the hope of the resurrection. From the very beginning of the book, he is anticipating the hope of the resurrection. And so here we get a moment where Jesus raises someone from the dead. Now, to be clear, Lazarus will probably die again. Okay, so he's not raised from the dead in the same way Jesus is, where Jesus continues to remain in that form from then on. Uh, he raised raised from the dead and then probably dies again later. Yeah, later. But in the meantime, <laughs> he has been raised from the dead, which is a pretty amazing thing. Um, and so there, as there, there are obviously echoes between the two. So let's go through the story that we just heard in a little bit more detail. The core structure of the story is this. Lazarus is sick. This phrase, Lazarus is sick, is repeated over and over again at the start of the story because this is a story about the sickness that leads to death for Lazarus and everything that comes out of that. This is a story about sisters who are watching their brother die. So the sisters send a message, and the message they send is very specific. It's not just, Lord, Lazarus is sick, but Lord, they don't even use his name, the one who you love is sick. This phrasing is in part because they want to they connect to the heart of Jesus. This, is not, this isn't just any guy. This is a deep, close friend. And it, the passage specifically says this is someone Jesus loves. He loves Martha and Mary. He loves Lazarus. Uh, coming back here for us, these people that we have been away from for 10 years, <laughs> um, that sense of those we love I was talking to my daughter about the friends that stay. The friends that stay over the long times of our lives. The ones who we love in these deep ways where those friends are like family to us. This is how Lazarus was to Jesus. He was that kind of a friend. And that's how Mary and Martha were to Jesus. They were those deep and abiding friends. Jesus hears that. And then he does the exact opposite that we expect him to do. So you hear someone you love is dying. What do you do? What is the natural response? You go. go. Well, potentially freak out. Yes, that's true. (laughs) You might freak out, but you definitely want to go and be with them. If you can, if you can possibly go. Jesus seems to be able to go. Like He chooses to wait. This is a very strange choice. And in fact, probably was somewhat of a really surprising choice. And he explains that the reason he waits is because he has a purpose in waiting that involves God's glory. But I can tell you that if I was Mary and Martha, I would be pretty angry that he didn't come. And what we'll see is that actually, it seems that both Mary and Martha are actually pretty angry that he didn't come. Sometimes God doesn't come in the moment that we want him to come. Sometimes he seems to wait. And we ask the question, "Uh, God, so you know that I'm struggling, right? You know that I need you and you don't seem to be here. Why is that? Now it may be the case that God is actually with us. He's just not with us the way we want him to be. And he doesn't always change things the moment we want them to be changed. So Lazarus dies. And Jesus goes back to Judea. There's an interesting interaction between Jesus and the disciples. I heard you all kind of chuckle a little. Because they, he says he's asleep trying to do that thing where we say, you know, we don't say people are dead. We use another phrase. We do this too, right? We have a li- long list of them. They have passed away. They have gone to the other side. They have whatever phrase, right? So he does that, but then the disciples, as usual, are just dense. (laughs) So uh, there's another scene, and there's lots of this in John's gospel. There's another scene where he says, uh, it's the bread of life passage in John 6, where he says, I have bread you don't know about. And he means that he's the bread of heaven, like he has a, he's a source of life. And they're like, he has a sandwich, he got it earlier. <laughs> it's really funny, they're like, he has bread, oh, he must have gotten a meal earlier, okay, that's what he's talking about. So in a moment similar to that, we have him have to tell them, no, he, what I meant by falling asleep is that he's actually dead. So, um, just to be clear. Just to be clear, in case you didn't get it, which they didn't. Um, Alright, so... But then something important happens, and here's—and we may or may not catch this, because the passage is so much about Lazarus and his sisters that we might not realize why it is dangerous for Jesus to go back. See, the framing for all of this passage, as I mentioned before, is that the Jewish authorities in Jerusalem want to kill him. And it has gone around. You know when rumors go around and you know something, even if you haven't been told directly, Every one of those disciples knows that when he goes back to Jerusalem, his death is coming. And let's point out that they are right. It just doesn't happen immediately. They go, he goes back to the place where he will die. And he goes back because, of his, because, in part, because he knows that's what God would like him to do, but also because he's going to go back to raise his friend. So the disciples have a moment where they have to decide, are we going to face death with Jesus? Thomas, also called Didymus. Anybody remember Thomas anywhere else in scripture? Doubting Thomas. Thomas gets a bad rap. Thomas is the one who in this moment says, let's go die with him. He's, He's actually courageous. We forget that part of his story sometimes. Jesus gets to the tomb and he encounters Lazarus' sisters. Martha comes out first. Mary seems it's possible that Mary is experiencing such a deep mourning that she will not leave the space where other people are comforting her. We don't know exactly why Mary comes second, but at the very least, we know that she stays with those who are mourning with her. Martha comes out and is the first to say to Jesus, why weren't you here? And this is, this is when we read it, sometimes we're like, and you, if you had been here, everything would be fine. That's probably not the tone of her voice. She knows that Jesus had the ability to save her brother, and he didn't. So her initial statement to him is is in frustration, in anger, in pain. In that moment, um, we have, if you have been through the loss of loved ones, we know that in the midst of grieving, we say things that sometimes we don't mean or we do mean, and we're more honest than we usually are. Uh, My grandfather passed away not too long ago, and at the funeral, um, there was these words said back and forth that hurt everybody. And I think that sometimes in the midst of our grief, we pour that out on people. Sometimes. Sometimes because we can't hold it back. And so we see both Mary and Martha say the same phrase to Jesus. If you had been here, you could have done something. And I think they voice for us sometimes what happens in the midst of our grief and our loss. Why didn't you change this? And Jesus and Martha have a really interesting conversation where Jesus tries to tell her, your your brother will be raised. And she's like, okay, I know the whole theology thing. I get that in the end, he'll be raised. At this moment, that's not particularly comforting to me. Like, I get that that's true, and I should, you know, embrace that. But that's not, at this moment, what I want to hear. And so he goes to the next step and says, resurrection's right here. It's me. And that's not something she expects. And you can see that she's trying to work that out throughout the rest of the passage. In fact, what she says is almost identically, word for word, the confession that Peter says about Jesus. I know that you're the Messiah, the Son of God. But for both of them, what that fully means, hasn't full, it hasn't fully dawned on them all of what that means. And for Martha, it doesn't fully dawn on her until she actually sees her brother raised. But Jesus doesn't just give a theological conversation. It's not just about some intellectual engagement with these women. When he sees Martha and then Mary comes and they are weeping, he is overwhelmed with his own loss and grief. Even though he knows he is the resurrection and the life, he weeps with those who are weeping. He sees their grief and loss and mourns with them. Possibly the most powerful two words, at least for me, in scripture, Jesus wept. This is not a God who doesn't know what it's like to hurt. This is not a God who, from a distance, watches our pain, but one who stands beside us weeping when we weep. And then asks us to weep with others when they weep. Even when we know that there's hope on the other side. And so the views, the Jews have their own viewpoint on Jesus, which we also hear in this passage. So the next step is the one I kind of yelled, but it was a loud voice. I can't not use a loud voice when it says loud voice. <laughs> this is my favorite uh, Lazarus-come-forth moment. It's, it's a, from a graphic novel of, uh, of resurrection. So Jesus, we see, is moved more than once. We see him weeping once, but then we see him moved again. And even as he walks to the tomb, even as he stands before it, he is moved with this loss and this grief, even knowing what he's about to do. <laughs> Martha, I love Martha. Martha gets a really bad rap, kind of similar to Thomas. Martha, we often remember her story in Luke, where she goes and deals with the practicalities while her sister sits at the feet of Jesus and, like, you know, is completely like enthralled with what Jesus is doing. Martha's like, there's practical things that need to be done. Now, I have always connected well with Martha. I am a practical person who often is like, practical things need to be done. What's interesting to me is that in this moment, her sense of practicality is almost humorous. Because we know that what Jesus is about to do is raise this man from the dead. She's really concerned it's stinky. <laughs> Right? Like, you know, when you move the stone, there's going to be a smell. Now, it's important that it's several days that he has been in the tomb. And here's why. Uh, This is also probably why Jesus waited as many days as he did. So within the Jewish faith, someone is not necessarily dead until they have been dead for over three days. Or up to three days, basically. For three days. days. So the reason for this (laughs) Now, we may go, really? Like, couldn't you know before that that they were dead? Um, But here's the reason. They didn't really have ways of, like, double checking to see if someone's heartbeat is going. They didn't have stethoscopes. So sometimes, yeah, well, we can check pulses. But even then, sometimes pulses are so thin and thready that someone who you think is dead is not dead. So they didn't want to bury people, really, until they knew they were dead, or they started to bury them, but they wanted to give, they would come and check. Because you never know if you buried someone and they were actually just unconscious or in a coma. So this, I know it sounds weird, but this is the thinking. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay. (laughs) So... So the multiple days. Part of the reason for that is actually so that we know that this isn't just resuscitation. Like he doesn't just breathe life and back, and he was already alive, but he was actually fully dead. And Mary's and Martha's comment about you know being concerned about the smell actually goes further to say, you know, no, he's really dead. Jesus has a conversation where he talks about how he is sent from the Father, and that what he is doing is for the Father's glory. His whole point is that he waited because God had something else he was doing. And he is doing this particular task because God has a purpose. And sometimes, as I mentioned before, God's purposes and our purposes aren't always aligned. We don't always know what God's purposes are. And we don't always know why God waits to change things in our lives. But it seems to be the case that in this case, there was a reason. So, Lazarus come forth and Lazarus comes forth. Comes in and resurrects. And I love that my daughter is yaying, because we should all yay. Yay! Okay? Someone who was dead is now brought back to life. Those who are mourning no longer have to mourn. This is a foretaste of what we will have in the age to come. There will be no mourning, no crying, no pain. And here we have a life brought back from the dead. Boom. That's right, baby. All right. The Pharisees and the priests, in the meantime, which we didn't read this section, they hold a meeting because now things have just gotten crazy. Like bad. They think this is the worst thing that could happen. They fear That this guy who is riling up, now he has raised the dead. Like, if people had a question about whether Jesus had followers before, what do you think is going to happen when he raises the dead?
1: In front of everybody. In
0: front of everybody. (laughs) There's going to be excitement, and people are going to keep following him and even more. And he's going to draw some attention from the Romans, which may get persecution happening for the Jews. See, the Romans were fine for the Jews to have their own little ceremonies and stuff like that, as long as they didn't start claiming that someone was king who's going to take over for the emperor. You have someone claiming to be God who is also king, that's dangerous. Because Rome could come and hurt them. And this is what they're afraid of. Caiaphas actually has this interesting prophecy. So what he says is that it is better for one man to die on behalf of others than for all of the Jews to die. Now, this language of one man to die on behalf of others, he means it's better to crucify one guy so all of us don't die. But when he speaks, he actually speaks more than he knows. In the same way that we just described this story where God does more than we anticipate, God does more with people who don't even know that they're saying things on behalf of God. For Jesus to die for the Jews, and he will also die for the scattered children, and he will make them one. And this is the hope. So all of this happens and is mentioned during the time of the Passover. And as we lead into our uh, time of communion, there's an echo to that idea of Jesus as the one who would be sacrificed on behalf of others, like the Passover lamb. So what is the impact of this story? I have unpacked a little bit of it, but I'm going to let John unpack some more.
1: Watch, well, the first two points was still you. Oh, except that I'm going to keep going, apparently.
0: <laughs> <laughs> when we think about Lazarus' story in Jesus' life, there's a couple things to think about. First, Jesus had the opportunity to give God glory by raising someone he loved, that he cared for. This was an important moment in Jesus' life. But it is also, we know that throughout John's Gospel, Jesus talks about how the Son of Man must be raised up, and he's describing over and over again the knowledge that his death is coming. See, Jesus knows that when he decides to go back to Jerusalem to save his friend, he is leading himself to death. And so as we think about all of the implications for Jesus, as he weeps before that grave, we have to ask the question, does Jesus also know that his death is coming? In John's Gospel, we talked already about how this is a really important turn, turning point. From this ministry, the stories of Jesus' ministry, to this, this really like downward movement into the death of Christ. And as we go through that experience, as we think about that, we ourselves have been in this process of acknowledging and thinking about Christ's death in our lives. What does it look like to realize that's part of our own journey? And John's going to speak a little bit more about how death and life are a big part of this story. And so this leads us into the question of what does this look like for our lives today? And I've already connected it a little bit to to our own experiences of grief, our own times of loss, our own experiences of loss, whether that's a human being that we've lost or something else. Um, so I think that as we think about what is this story about, it's about so many of these things.
1: So, in a sense, I guess Lazarus really continues well, to be a powerful image for us, right? I mean, this story isn't just told just because John thought it was cool.
2: Tells- it's cool. It
1: is pretty cool. But the reason John writes this story and includes it in his gospel is because it's meant to be an encouragement to Christians after, for the people he was writing to initially and for us ongoing today, right? It's this powerful image of what God does, of who Jesus is, who this God that we love and serve is. It's an image of restoration and of resurrection and eternal life and of becoming something new. You see... When we look at this, I'm just going to, let's go back for a moment when that, that, what they say, if you had been here, right, if you had been here, this wouldn't have happened. Mary and Martha, they see in the midst of their suffering, in their pain, they see that God as absent. Jesus was absent. He wasn't there for them. That's what they see, right? And we feel like that when we suffer, don't we? When bad stuff happens, we feel like, okay, God, where are you in this? Right? And we can try to console ourselves sometimes, but that's how we feel. And if you don't feel like that way, then you're not really paying attention to yourself. <laughs> right? But just because we don't feel that he's there doesn't mean he's not there. Right? I mean, Jesus was aware of what was going on. Now, on the one hand, I mean, Jesus was God in the flesh, in a body like this, Right? And so he was physically located at a certain point in space, right? And he wasn't in all spaces at once. But the Holy Spirit was there. And the Holy Spirit is here right now. So when we feel like we don't see him, that doesn't mean he's not with us, Right? And it's important to remember that. Now on the one hand, we don't have him with us the way we're looking forward to when he comes back. We want him with us the way Mary and Martha wanted him with them, physically, tangibly present. And that's a good hope. Don't lose that hope, right? Keep hoping for that and looking forward to that. But even now, while he's away, his spirit is with us. And indeed that Jesus elsewhere talks about how the spirit's presence with us is closer with us. That's the closest that God can be with us already. Because he's in our hearts. He's in, working in this, in this church, in amongst us, as we're gathered here, between us, interacting with us now. Right? Mm-hmm. So, God is with us in our sufferings and our loss. And just as, another aspect of that is just as Jesus wept, right? When Jesus, he doesn't just say, okay, yeah, I'm here, fine, yeah, here you go. Right? Right? and just feel better. No, he is with us in suffering. He knows what it is to suffer. It's actually one of the things that, well, you can almost see getting emotional here, that separates out this God from any other God that's ever been worshipped in you know, pagan whatever anywhere, right? This is not a God who sits on high issuing decrees with heavy loads for us to bear while he doesn't have to carry them himself. Mm -hmm. This is a God who carries the load we carried, who carries it better than we carried, and carried all of it in everything that means. So when he acts to bring life and wholeness to us, he's not just acting, okay, here's a little thing for you here to toss you a bone. No, this is one who knows. That's very comforting. At the same time, though, if he sat with us and he wept with us, but that's all he did, well, that would be very comforting, thank you. But it wouldn't ultimately help anything very much, would it? I mean, we see there, you know, these Jews who have gathered around Mary Martha, they're doing their bit to try to comfort, right? And we're glad that they did. But that's not enough. That doesn't ultimately make things better better, what makes things better is Jesus showing up and changing the situation. Right? And that's what he does. Why does he say, but this is for God's glory? This act demonstrates and is for us a picture of what God does in our lives again and again and again. Right? This is what he does. He takes that which is broken, that which is the the results of evil and the shatteredness of our world and the suffering, he takes these broken, hard things, and he brings good out of them. That's what he does. That's his way of doing things. He doesn't even just show up and make it like, like as if Lazarus never died. No, no, he's, let's be clear, he comes here and he raises Lazarus from the dead. Everybody knows that he's dead. It's not like, oh, he just poof, changed the course of history, so it's as if that didn't happen. No, this is good news because we know the man who was dead is now alive, right? And this is a picture, on the one hand, we can see that this is actually, John intentionally parallels what happens with Lazarus with what happens with Jesus. Jesus is the great pattern. He himself is the great pattern of how he interacts with us, how he brings life and wholeness and salvation to us. Jesus himself goes through all the suffering and the death and then is raised out of it, so that we too can be raised out of it, right? That's the big pattern that he sets for how he's bringing salvation to this world. But it's not just once. It's again and again and again on every scale. No matter if you're talking about just a little suffering or you're talking about a big suffering, you're talking about someone's died. So Lazarus is a fairly big picture, but still a smaller picture than Jesus himself, right? Thus, Lazarus being raised... But raised to this life, not yet to the fullness of eternal life that we're looking forward to, right? So it's a raising, but a smaller raising. But still a pretty good picture, I'd say, of how he continues to interact with us. So when we're sick, and he brings health to us again, right? Now, it may take a while, may not be right when we wanted it, but when he does that, we're experiencing that again. Or when we're, you know... Trying to, okay, I'm um, getting evicted from my place. Uh, where am I going to go now? I don't know what's going to happen. Oh, oh, dear, what's going to happen to me? And then God does something to keep us safe and bring us somewhere, right? He acts to bring good even out of that bad situation or whatever bad situation you want to think about, right? Mm-hmm. You know, your job loss, you know, whatever's going on. He's always working with us, and he keeps taking that which is broken that which is bad, and he doesn't make the the bad as if it was actually good. No, no, no. The bad is bad, but he's not willing to leave it that way. He will bring good out of evil in spite of evil, right? And so that's what we see happening here. Now, we're looking forward to Jesus coming back, because only when Jesus comes back and makes everything perfect will it ever all be perfect, right? So it's never going to be perfect until he returns. But when he shows up and acts, he always makes things better always that's what he does right and so while we're looking forward to his return when all will be well he makes things well now and we need to remember that even in the midst of our suffering Mm -hmm. and not just remember that pray that a little rabbit trail from what i was going to say sometimes in the church in christians we sometimes get so well god knows what's good and if this bad thing happened, then I suppose I should just sort of accept that this happened and just say, well, God knows what He's doing. And, you know, oh, Lord, please help me. But we just sort of. Sometimes we actually need to learn from our Jewish brothers and sisters who have a very strong tradition of saying, I disagree. I object, God. You know what? If you're in a situation, you won't be like Mary Martha. Say, if you were here come here. I mean, what did we read in that psalm earlier, right? It wasn't just a, Lord, we accept your will. It was, come fix this. That's a good prayer. That's the prayer we should always be praying mm-hmm. for ourselves and for others. Pray that prayer.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay? But here's the other thing we can see. In that We see again and again in those psalms and in what happens here. And over and over, on every scale and every, we think of, whenever the, however big or small the problem is, He answers. He shows up. It may be a while. It may not happen the way we wanted. He shows up. Right? And when he does, he makes things better. Now, the other thing, of course, is that until Jesus comes back, like I said, it's not going to be perfect. And so when he does show up and make things better, great, it's actually better. He's actually made things better. Well, evil doesn't like things being made better. So, of course, evil will, continue, will try to counterattack, if you will, right? Mm-hmm. So we will experience that again. So just because God shows up and makes things better, right? So say, say someone had lung cancer, and God, we pray for them one day, and they actually just get a heal, boom, from lung cancer. Awesome, right? Well, if they go out and keep smoking the next day, do you think that they might get lung cancer again? Yeah, they haven't been made invulnerable, right? They continue to live in this world, right? So things bad can still continue to happen. And not only do, can we think about, you know, spiritual forces. I mean, Satan obviously doesn't like it and will fight back, right? But even people who sometimes we actually confess, we actually sometimes don't like it when God does good things because it can upend our expectations. <laughs> you know, I mean, we see in the story here, you know, the, the powerful leaders are actually upset because a guy who was brought back from the dead, they should be excited about this right, just in and of itself, (laughs) and if this means that Jesus is the Messiah, oughtn't they to be glad about that? But they're not, because they have so built themselves on the expectation that the broken evil system will continue, and they have found a way to make themselves comfortable in the midst of it. They've actually set themselves up so that I'm going to rely on the broken system to continue being broken. And so, wait a minute, wait, you're actually fixing it? Ah, what's going to happen to me now? Right? Mm-hmm. And so that's actually the fear that's going on there. But, and it's easy to blame them, you know, these powerful... But we can all do that, you know? There are times when each and every one of us can actually get upset because God decides to redeem a broken situation. Mm-hmm. So we all need to be aware of that. It's not just the powerful, it's all of us.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But in spite of that opposition, God will never... Never, never give up. He is going to take all the brokenness and make it right. He's going to take all this evil and his solution isn't to give us a nice little answer but well, why that's okay that evil happened. No, no, his solution is to bring good out of every last bit of it. He's not willing to let any of it remain. Mm -hmm. He's going to change every last bit of it. So no matter what it is that's hurting us right now, that we're worried about, that's facing us, whatever it is, know that he is not going to be satisfied until he's made good out of all of it. Now, it will be surprising. In order to bring good out of evil, he has to exercise that same creative power that brought the world out of darkness and nothing to begin with, which means that we can't actually anticipate what it's going to be, right? We can't fully imagine what he's going to do because it's creative. We can't just say it's going to be more of the same. No, it has to be something new. Mm -hmm. So be prepared to be surprised, right? Mm -hmm. So it may not fit our expectations, And when it doesn't, we may have to adjust our expectations so we don't actually get mad about the good thing that he's doing. (laughs) But it will be good. Mm -hmm. And he won't stop. He won't stop.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And that's what we had to say today.
2: Yeah. Thanks, guys. Wonderful. So that really is a wonderful segue into communion. Uh, Sophia's just gone down to notify the teachers uh, to bring bring up the children. We value intergenerational communion. <clears throat> we value parents discipling their kids on this as to discerning when they feel their children are ready to partake. Uh, with some degree of understanding. And, um, Rick, can you just wait? Sorry, but, yeah, let's just wait. I want to bless it together if we could. Um, what I'd like to do is, is, um, just say that none of us fully understand this. So so that's why I'm blessed by the fact that children can begin to partake at the level of understanding that they have. And, um, Something struck me as we were praying this morning for the service is that it seems that Jesus, even though he's resurrected in a far greater way than Lazarus was, as John and Beth described, he still has scars on him. It seems that scripture indicates by Thomas's, the incident with Thomas, that he still has scars. Why would God leave scars on this most glorious victory over death, like why would he leave a memory of those scars? What was God's purpose in that? Is part of that the reason being that it might be easy for us to remember that Jesus wept in his humanity, but maybe not so easy to believe that he weeps now in his glory, that he still weeps with us where we are? And why is it that the God of the universe, when he asks us to remember him in our worship, Sunday after Sunday or time after time, that we come together to break bread, why is the way that we remember him not some great glorious being on a throne, but he continues to remind us of his broken body and his shed blood? Why is that? And what is your death today? John referred to some of them Talked about eviction. I thought of our own eviction from the Salvation Army. How that was such a death when we got the word. And look at the resurrection that's come. This place literally opened up uh, within, uh, uh, within weeks of... But I remember when the news came, it was like a death knell. It was the, and it was in some ways. It was the end of a season for us over at Commercial and First. And yet, look at the resurrection that's come. And and what is your eviction? What is your death? Where maybe you're where Martha is. Lord, what's the holdup? What's the holdup? How long? How how often do the psalmists say that? Eh? In the lament songs. How long, oh God? Maybe you have you're waiting for work, you've lost a job, you've lost, there is resurrection. I declare it today in the name of Jesus, there is resurrection for you. So if you need prayer into some of these areas where you need resurrection, I encourage you before you leave today to turn to somebody and, and just, and get some prayer, um, into, into these areas. There's, there's also regret. I'm sensing the Lord speaking to some of you who are still under a, pal, uh, a power of, of regret. And it has to do with Martha and Mary saying, Lord, if you had have been here, my brother would not have died. And there are some of you that are literally in your spirit right now. There's a, there's, there's a phrase, if This hadn't have happened. If I hadn't have done this. Or if this hadn't have been done to me. My whole life could be different. And God is saying the the resurrection breaks that. It breaks that. The Lord wants to break off regret. Not repentance. Repentance, the Bible says, leads to life. But regret is where the enemy just keeps you down under something. And there's no resurrection But God promises even our failures, even when we've done something that, I was thinking of something I did this morning. It wasn't even a big thing, but it happened a number of years ago where I really got po'd at this guy in a theater, and I yelled, I I did something, I don't know why, it just came back, and it might be for you. But I remember that the Lord just kind of brought to me this sense, I just thought, how could I have done that? I was such a dumbass to do that. Why was I like that? You know? Do you ever feel that way? Okay? If you don't, you're a sociopath. <laughs> and you need repentance, right? But I just felt God say, let it go. That, that's gone. It's under the blood. You, 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 there's, a way, there's a way to life. So I just feel that that word of regret, God wants to break off Amen. some things over you. Amen. So if I was to call Gordy a dumbass every day, how do you think he'd feel?
1: So th-